Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not trans children should be able to transition and we are starting right now with Alex's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us again, Alex. The floor is all yours. Thank you and I want to uh, thank Malcolm for being a gracious uh, interlocutor. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. I did graduate college, but uh, you know, by the skin of my teeth and James, I appreciate you always putting on a great debate. And, uh, you know, I'll start with this and I'll end with this. Make sure if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth Plano area this Saturday, we're doing debate con where I'll be live debating with a lot of other debaters. Okay, back to the lecture at hand. Malcolm, thank you for being here today. And I'm sure you're like, who is this guy? Primetime 99 Alex Stein. He says he's a pimp on a blimp. You know, he walks with a lamp. You know, he goes and sings with his vaccine. You know, he's anti this, anti that. You're probably like, what is Alex's deal? And let me tell you something. At my heart, I'm a libertarian. And I don't want to ever come across as a transphobe or homophobe whatsoever and i feel like adults 100 percent should be allowed to transition in their sex or take any sort of gender hormone therapy that they would like as long as their doctor recommended it you know i would prefer that it probably be legal and under a doctor's supervision but my point is i think what they're doing right now to children is one of the most most despicable things by letting a child that can't even drive a car they can't vote in an election that is restricted from doing so much things so many things excuse me because of their age but you're going to let them make lifelong decisions like a mastectomy or gender reassignment surgery or gender hormone therapy that these people actually look at your face and say is reversible, which it is not. Because there are people that are, that are that stop the hormone therapy in their 17, 18 years old. When they started at 12 years old, they still had the genitals of a 12 year old. And there's there's countless amount of stories like this. And I can pull these stories up. But my whole point being is. The reason why these hospitals have these programs, it's not because of social justice or progressivism. It's because a very minute amount of the population is born what is called intersex, or you could say hermaphrodite, where they have either both genitals, deformed genitals, have some sort of genital defect is a general definition of that. And so because of that, there are parents that have to go through really tough decisions at birth, right there, as soon as they give birth to the child. Doctors often recommend assigning the gender of the baby right then and there so they can start the surgery. And they often do this while they're a baby. They give them the hormones as early as possible because they say that is the most healthy way for them to 
mature in their identifiable sex or identifiable gender, excuse me. So these programs, these hormone therapies and these surgeries were invented for a very applicable reason, for a, 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 you know, a good reason, a necessary medical reason. But what these surgeries in these clinics and the amount of these clinics that have popped up in the past 15 years is an alarming rate. And it's not due to the amount of kids that are born intersex. It's because even on record at Boston Children's Hospital, they have this. They said that they like transitioning children because it's financially beneficial to them because they have multiple, multiple visits. And then on top of that, getting, and I hate to be so blunt. I hate to be so blunt, Malcolm. A child cutting off their wiener, their penis, excuse me for lack of a better word, that is an open wound. That is not a biological vagina. Those often have to be dilated. Those have to be cared for by a doctor because it is, for lack of a better word, an actual open wound between a child's leg. For me, cutting off a child's genitals because of a mental health disorder called gender dysphoria is the most counterproductive thing that we can do to our young children and to society as a whole. Like I said from the very beginning, if you're an adult and you want to get these surgeries, you want to get on hormone therapy, I'm all about it. But the idea that these children are making decisions when you look at the amount of kids that are on gender hormone therapy or gender reassignment surgery in California compared to Cleveland, Ohio, it's a lot more in California. Why is that? It's not just because of social progressivism. It's not because, you know, the astrazine is turning the frogs gay, as Alex Jones would say. There's something that is manipulating and encouraging children through social acceptance or social justice or social guidance from peers, from tutors, from teachers, from mentors, from coaches. Often indoctrinate these children and oftentimes behind the parents back. To me, that is one of the most evil things you can do. And when I was a young man a long time ago, I know I look young, but that's just a pimp on a blimp. I got a good skincare routine. The air appears a little thinner. But there was a thing called going through fads. We had fads. I even had fads. I was emo for a little bit. I was a pimp on a blimp. I had the emos. Come on. You know, I was emo. And I grew out of it. Okay. And just like, you know, and 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 to be honest, I'm a little gender fluid myself. You say, oh, Alex, you're making fun. You're mocking. I've always been Alexandria. I go to city council meetings and I wear women's clothes. You know, is it a, is it for sexual reasons? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know why I do it, but I like to do it. So it's neither here nor there because I'm an adult and I can do what the hell I want as an adult. And I agree that other adults should be able to do what the hell they want. But children should not be indoctrinated to literally cut off their genitals through gender reassignment surgery or breast mastectomies causing their natural maturation to be totally stunted, changing not only their mental health, their physical health, causing a suicide rate that is absolutely alarming. And you're gonna say, oh, we need gender reaffirming care to lower the suicide rate. That's not, those stats don't line up. The amount of suicides of transgender people is absolutely insane. And we need to do more to help people with their mental health issues than causing permanent physical damage that they're choosing to do at an age when they don't really have any perspective. Like I said earlier, if these children can't vote, they can't participate in driving, they can't participate in elections, they can't smoke cigarettes, they can't drink. There's a lot of stuff that you can't see R-rated movies. If a kid can't see 
Pulp Fiction, I don't think they should be able to cut off their wiener. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know that makes me sound like a right-wing bigot and a transphobe and all these bad words that you want to call me, but that's not what I am. I'm just based in reality. And I know that I was a young kid, and I know that I made mistakes, and I made decisions that I regretted later on in life. And the only reason that I knew those decisions were bad because I had perspective of it. I can't see the forest because there's a big tree in front of my face when I'm a little kid, but once I get older, I get a better perspective. So letting children do this, when they have no perspective, no idea what their life, what's ahead of them in their life, and probably have never even had a fulfilling sexual relationship oftentimes, which I think that is very important for gender and sex, is to have the natural maturation, you know, to mature naturally, go through puberty, lose your virginity, and, you know, naturally kind of the carnal instincts within us, we naturally do that. And if you're gay, that's cool. Go be gay. You can be gay all day. I don't care about that. I'm not anti-gay. I'm pro-gay. I'm pro-trans. But when it comes to children, I'm against the mutilation of child genitalia under any circumstance. And I think there's better outlets. And you say, oh, Alex, well, do you not trust Big Pharma or the medical industry? The same medical industry? that you can oftentimes go to and say you're depressed and they give you a medication, an SSRI, serotonin uptake inhibitor. And on the actual commercials, they say may cause suicide idealization. So a medical system that gives depressed people pills that make them want to kill themselves, to me, I'm a little skeptical. And then when I hear people at Boston Children's Hospital Talk about how these procedures require multiple visits. It's very lucrative to the hospitals. Bottom line, red flags go up. I'm nervous. I don't think what is happening is kosher. And I believe these multinational corporations like Kaiser, like Baylor Scott and White, like these huge hospitals that have huge overhead, they are predatory businesses. So you say, oh, Alex, you're all right. I believe we should have a form of socialized medicine. I think there should be caps on medicine and on prescriptions. That's not very capitalistic. But because we have a medical industry, one of the only countries in America that were even allowed to run advertisements for pharmaceuticals. I don't know if you're aware of that. One minute left. So why are those ads not allowed in other countries? Because they don't believe that they should have predatory public health services. But unfortunately, that's the case here in America. So we have a for-profit system that uses marginalized people, mentally ill people, and give them procedures that they're too young to consent for if you compare it to other things in life that are age-restricted. So for me, I don't want to come across as transphobic, bigoted, anything like that, because I love all trans people. And I believe we should help marginalized people. Gay Pride Month, I'm going to be at all the pride parades with you. I don't want to come across as rude or non-empathetic to the plight of people that feel that they have been unfairly treated because of their gender or sex. I don't want to be like that. And I think young kids, if they want to dress, they want to be weird, I encourage creativity. You want to be a fancy whatever boy? I mean, I don't think necessarily boys should wear dresses, but if they want to be creative and weird... An alternative, I would, I would encourage that. And the last thing I want to say is, I'm Primetime 99. You want to see it live and in local. Plano, Texas is Saturday. That's right. Thank you very much. 
appreciate that opening, Alex. And Alex is right. Debate Con, Modern Day Debates Debate Conference, is this Saturday, November 19th in Plano, Texas, in person. I have put the link for the tickets in the description box as well as pinned at the top of the chat. And as an example of some of the debates and panels that you can see there, as you can see on the bottom right of your screen, Alex Stein, Stardust, Justin Gibson, Jackson Hinkle, Mouthy Infidel, and Melody Mack, for the first time, are going to be on a panel on big tech censorship, as well as Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, among other things, such as the recent banning of Andrew Tate. You don't want to miss this one. It's in person, in Plano, this Saturday, and it's going to be gigantic, my dear friends. With that, we're going to kick it over to Malcolm. We're thrilled to have you with us, Malcolm. Seriously, thanks for being with us, and the floor is all yours for your opening as well. Well, I just wanted to start and say, Alex, I completely agree with you. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I but I am absolutely stealing the pimp on a blimp. That's my new that's my new gender. I like that. That's a good one. I like that. You can have that. Let me not, not let me not interrupt, but yeah, that's public domain. Sorry. We'll share it. We'll share it. We'll take turns, okay. Um so when we're talking about kids transitioning, I try to be really specific with my language. Um, something that I want to emphasize is that when we're talking about medical intervention for youth that identify as trans. Uh, we're talking about adolescence, right? We're not really giving um, hormones to four-year-olds. We're not really giving surgery to six-year-olds. And I think that it's important to highlight that there is a significant difference when we're talking about youth between like a six-year-old and like a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a few things that I think that I can reach across the aisle on. Um, and one of them being uh, longer wait times for interventions uh, in trans youth. That's something that I think that I can offer an olive branch on, and maybe we can have a good conversation about that. Um, given kind of the abysmal state of mental health care in the United States, I don't love this just being copy-pasted onto the U.S., but Sweden actually has a pretty interesting model, um, in my opinion, where they kind of backed up a little bit off of uh, medical transition for minors and kind of encouraging other avenues of support and then seeing if there's still a dire need at the end of this kind of path of excuse me, additional interventions um, to say, oh, well, it seems that this is going to be the only thing that's going to work for this kid. And so I, I could definitely be moved on that. I think that um, waiting is important. Being uh, supported in your decision is important. But what I'm uncomfortable with is the idea that the government can kind of step in and say, hey, um, you're actually not allowed to give this uh, treatment to your child at all. Um, something that you brought up uh, in your opening statement was the idea of um, how SSRIs can cause suicidal ideation. That's kind of one, one of like the the labels almost on a lot of SSRIs and antidepressants is that you can um, actually get an increased risk of suicidality uh, and suicidal ideation with them. And that's why I think that it's important to prioritize like good support systems for um, trans identified children and then moving up from there. But I don't think the transition itself should be taken off of the table um, just because it's something that is rare or something that is kind of a, a drastic intervention, which I agree it can be. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to take that away for people that do need it, right? Um, and ideally, this is something that is done between like a family, a child, and a physician, and that's kind of their choice and their decision to come to together. Um, with the DSM standards of care currently, you have to be persistent in your identity for at least six months. Um, and assuming that this child is going or this adolescent is going to get this diagnosis of gender dysphoria, you would have to have a supportive family. You'd have to have physicians that are willing to go through with this. You'd have to have psychologists and psychiatrists that are all kind of working together. Um, it's a pretty niche issue. And I think that it's important to allow people to have autonomy in the way that they provide medical care for themselves and for their families. Um, and then the last two things that I wanted to hit on, and then I'll, um, we can be, uh, 
it can be done. So um, as I think that something that's important to highlight as well is that when we're talking about medical interventions for adolescents, a lot of the treatments that we see used on trans kids are also used in cis adolescents as well or non-trans adolescents. Um, so for example, double mastectomy can be used in um, male minors to treat gynomastia or like the developing of breast tissues because it is incredibly psychologically distressing um, for a cis male to go through high school with like big juicy tits, right? Like that's really weird. He's going to get roasted by his friends. They're all going to make fun of him. It's He's not going to be able to date effectively. It's going to cause a lot of like social issues and probably uh, self-esteem issues as well. So we see that procedure done in cis males um, that are under 18. Uh, puberty blockers are another thing that there's not like a like an excellent body of research, but the body of research that we have that has been used on cis minors is that that has it's been used to treat precocious puberty for upwards of like 30 years. I think they started in the 1970s. And there are negative um, side effects to almost everything that we do medically. It's always going to be a cost benefit analysis of is this intervention worth the outcome or the potential risk. Um, but I think that that's something that should be left up um, to individuals, their physicians and their families and their support network networks to kind of decide. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about any of that stuff, uh, more in detail if you want. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening as well, Malcolm. And folks want to know or want to let you know in particular, as mentioned, DebateCon this Saturday, it's going to be gigantic at the bottom right of your screen. It's got the details there. And not only that, but let me tell you something else. As you can see on the far right of the screen, we are doing a crowdfund. This is the, to cover the costs of the venue it is going to be gigantic. All of the debates are free to the public live. So in other words, not like, oh, well, if you put in a few bucks, you get to watch it live. But otherwise, you have to watch it later when it's not live. No, it's completely free for the entire public. All the debates are being live streamed. It's going to be huge. So if you'd like to help us out, as those venue costs are expensive as well as speaker costs, that crowdfund is linked in the description. And, like I said, that is a crowdfund to raise funds for the venue as well as the speakers' flights and travel costs. With that, we're going to jump into the open conversation. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Well, Malcolm, I think that we can agree on some stuff. You know, I think that you agree that we have a mental health problem and that we need more mental health support or we need a better system and that you often, yeah. you, you often do think that it probably some of these, you know, surgeries – should be a little bit delayed. I mean, I think we can at least agree on that. But uh, one thing you did, you talked about the medical applications for mastectomy. And I agree. That's what I'm talking about. And that's why all of these, these hormones and these surgeries and doctors having these techniques. Like I said, there is a medical application through an intersex or children that are born hermaphrodite. Uh, I believe, I don't, I don't know if that's the te technical medical term, but I'm just saying people born intersex is the more generic term. So you know, th none of this stuff, this this healthcare, I think actually necessarily came out of some sort of like sinister thing, even though I don't really necessarily like healthcare, but it's being misapplied. That's my problem. And so for you, Malcolm, I, I just kind of want to get your opinion. Do you like the for-profit medical system here in America? No, of, of course not. And I think that something that's important to highlight, especially if we're talking about transition related stuff, I know that something a lot of people will bring up is that essentially what we're creating are lifelong medical patients, right? And um, that's an argument that I've heard used before is that if, if you essentially, if you, if you start transitioning and you plan to transition, it 
ad nauseum, for the lack of a better term, like to the end, um, you are going to be a lifelong medical patient, whether it be um, with blood work for hormones, getting hormones, surgeries, any of that stuff. Um, and you definitely do see that that's something that could potentially be concerning. Um, but because I think that trans people make up such a small percentage of the population, um, it isn't really as impactful as I think a lot of people think it is. Like I would look more towards like pharmaceutical companies, like jacking up the prices of insulin or, um, or, or here's an example for you. Um, something that is really common with uh, hormones is most people inject them. Um, but there are other forms of hormones that are like really ridiculously expensive and the prices are super jacked up. Um, so most people will default to injecting hormones instead of these other methods that can be a little bit more stable a little bit easier, whatever. Um, and that is due to manufacturers and the pharma uh, the pharmaceutical companies wanting to make quick bucks off of it. Um, but I think that pragmatically, I don't think that there's like this big incentive for them to say, oh, we're gonna we're gonna farm the shit out of all these trans people who want surgery because there's uh, 10 surgeons maybe in the United States that perform phalloplasty. I think there's maybe there's under 30, I think, that perform vaginoplasty. Uh, mastectomy is a little bit different. Um, same thing with like breast implants, right? You can just go anywhere and get a breast implant. It's pretty routine plastic surgery. Um, but I think that it's kind of a little overrepresented how much people want to get into that, right? No, I mean, I think it's actually pretty accessible, to be honest. I mean, I don't know how many actual surgeons or doctors there are, but I think that it's kind of like, you know, the old abortion debate. They say the outlawed abortion, but I mean, you can go find one. You can go to a state. So if you want to get something done, you can find a way to do it. But but neither here nor well, to, there. Well, to clear to clarify really quickly, like really highly specialized surgeries, like bottom surgery, those are going to be a handful of people. Otherwise you're going to go to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and you're going to be totally fucked. Right. People will seek like out in Mexico. Good, um, good yeah. Day. Like in, they'll go to like, yeah. Like people that go to Mexico to and America. Get, yeah. mm, or Thailand, like Thailand does really good surgeries, but like in America, if you go to somebody who doesn't know what you're doing, you're totally fucked. Right. Um, just to clarify, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no worries. And I mean, I think we're both really aligned with a lot of this, Malcolm, I really do think that. I don't think we're that far apart. I just think now, I mean, where we could hammer it out, like if we really want to argue, is probably on like the age factor. Because, I mean, do you okay. believe, I'm just saying, do you believe a, a six-year-old is or a five-year-old? I think that's usually when I hear like court cases or like there's parental custody stuff. I think the Jeff Younger case, I believe the child started transitioning at six years old. I mean, do you think that to me, I mean, I, let's let's be honest. I think I could maybe debate you. You say a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. But a six-year-old? I mean, how could a six-year-old pick their... I mean, I, you don't even have any natural... Your brain is just a soft plasma, protoplasma, and your brain's not even developed yet. You're still basically a fetus, yeah. Um, well, I think I think that it's... Two things are going to be important. The first one is going to be that um, six-year-olds aren't really getting medical intervention, right? Um, when, we're, when people are talking about doing medical interventions, it's going to be like at an age-appropriate stage, right? Like um, for hormone blockers, Tanner stage two, cross-sex hormones, Tanner stage three, that's going to be like when your peers are developing in this kind of way, right? It kind of... They do their best to map it as closely as possible, right? Um, so when we're talking about young kids kind of doing so, social transition. Um, I, one, don't see any harm in that, right? Like if your kid's like, hey, dad, uh, I think that I might want to go by Jack instead of Jane, and maybe I want to get like a short haircut, and maybe I could wear shorts instead of dresses. Um, I don't necessarily see a harm in that. Um, and, e and I do agree well, and, with you and, that- and Michael, um, not to cut yeah, you off, but I want to make this point because I'll forget it. But mm -hmm. but like you just said, I don't care that if a boy wants to buy a girl doll, and I don't care if a girl mm -hmm. wants to play on the football team. I really don't care. But I do care. But I mean, to this point where you're going to, oh, you're transgender, I don't really think a biological male should be able to compete against a female because I feel like they do have an advantage. So I know that you're like, oh, that's a double standard, but we live in a world of double standards. So that's just why, I mean, so I know that to talk about it, I do believe if a little kid kind of wants to dress flamboyant or something, I don't know if necessarily they should let the teacher give them a dress behind their back, but I actually would encourage creativity, creativity to the fullest. But uh, for sure, 
it, but I'm, I'm saying like, I don't think I, I don't want to like there has to be these social and structure norms that are just so dead set. But it's like we go too far is what I believe is getting pushed way too far. Well, so my question would be, if we if we have a kid that is this person that I described, you know, like you have a uh, like a like a daughter and she says like, hey, like, I don't really like my name, Jane. I would really like you to be called me Jack. I kind of like that name. I would like to get a short haircut and maybe wear like shorts instead of dresses. And it's like, oh. Okay, like I guess I can do that. What would be the concern with that? Um, is it just that if left to naturally progress, it would lead to medical intervention, or w- can you explain to me like what your issue is with the idea? Like, no, is it the label no, I, of that person I, being trans or that kid being identified as trans that you think is the well, issue? Well, there are you know some social stigma behind it, but I'm talking about no. If a girl wants to be a tomboyish, because I know there's masculine women, there's there's feminine guys. I don't think that that's necessarily bad, and that's another thing is I, I really think. It's terrible, the the drag queen story time for children. But at the same time, I actually respect a drag performer because they put on, and I guess you'd call it LARPing, live action role playing as a woman. And, you know, they're pretty or they look, you know, dolled up, you know, they look, but it's temporary. It's not permanent. So I can respect that because I feel like that is less, I guess, disrespectful to women because when a man or a trans woman calls themselves a woman i think that denigrates what a woman is and it's really just a man mansplaining feminism to other women and i know that says you know sounds weird but like i said i have more respect for the drag performer or a person that wants to even dress in drag then get the then get the actual medical intervention because it just doesn't seem it would be like oh let me cut off my ear let me cut off my finger it just i understand if you want to be gay you want to have sex with whatever sex you want go ahead but I just don't think that you can actually logically think that you can cut off your penis and it will all of a sudden become a vagina. It just seems so illogical. And that's another reason where I just, I, you know, that it's a mental health. I think that's where it goes to the mental health issue. Sure. So I, back to the question that I asked, though. So when um, we're talking about like the trans kids specifically, if we're talking about a youth that like, is it the identifying as trans that you don't like, or is it that later, if that progresses, they'll medically transition? Because I think that we agree that there's a difference between like a six-year-old and like, you know, a 16-year-old. These are going to be different in the way that we treat them socially, maybe medical things that we can do if they're depressed or they're sad or whatever. Like what about um, like the child um, having like this quote unquote trans identity is bothersome? Is it just the label that we're assigning that, that we would identify this as transgender behavior? Or is it that later they'll get medical intervention? Like what about that specifically um, is kind of off-putting? No, and like like I said, you know, once they're of age, I believe they should be able to get whatever sort of um, gender reassignment surgery they want. I, I just think that children are being indoctrinated at a young age to identify as trans when socially, honestly, a, a kid, like I said, if a kid really wants to be called a different name and nickname, I'm okay with that. But for a kid to take any sort of gender hormone therapy, messing up their puberty whatsoever, that messes them up later on in life because you just have one shot at puberty. You only have one shot. So when you mess that up by taking medicine that throws your hormones out of whack, gives you estrogen, totally stops the way you would have naturally progressed physically, emotionally, mentally. That's where I have a problem. So the social stuff, I don't necessarily think it's good, but that should be the limit. That should be the limit when it comes to the transition of children. Sure. So you talked a little bit um, in your opening statement about the SSRIs and stuff. And so I'm curious, at what age do you think that it's appropriate for kids to start receiving like medical intervention for psychological issues? Or is do they all need to wait till they're 18? Or what is that line for you? What does that look like? Well, personally, because I'm an insane person, I really think a lot of you know, mental health stuff is a, a lot of kooks and I don't like how they try to solve it 
with prescription medicine. So I would argue that the the longer you keep children off prescription medicine, the better. But I guess if you want to go for the NPC, non-playable character, medical aspect of it, yeah, I mean, I think kids should get medical health services younger than than later on in life. Okay, so like if we had a kid who was like severely schizophrenic, like somebody that's completely non-functional, like they're very disorganized, just all over the place. I don't know if you've ever been around mentally ill people, um, like severely mentally I ill people. I am one. Right. You look in the mirror every day. Welcome to the camp. Welcome to the, the club, brother. Um, <laughs> but if we have this hypothetical kid, well, not hypothetical because this can happen, right? If they are, you know, like 14, 15, 16 years old, when do you think that like introducing antipsychotics would be appropriate or do you think that wouldn't be appropriate at all? I personally are anti-antipsychotics. <laughs> I just been, Even if somebody can't function. I'm going to steal that. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I've seen the people that are really mentally ill. I, I'm, I'm in the bail bond business. I've seen seriously mentally ill people. But oftentimes, this is going to sound really cuckoo. Mental health can be fixed with diet and exercise. And you're like, what are you talking about? That's why when people go to jail and then oftentimes get sober or go to rehab, even if they have terrible mental health issues, they get a little more in line. They get less whacked out when they can get aired out. So I, for me, I think that is the best medical direction to go with any sort of mental health issues. And I know you're like, oh, well, somebody's like so messed up, they're drooling or something. I don't know. I guess there's people that have such anxiety, they can't operate. But once again, anti-anxiety medicine works wonders. It'll definitely make your anxiety go away, but it has a rebound effect that causes permanent damage mentally, I believe. Yeah, it definitely can. It definitely can. And so that's my question is when we do like that, like with any kind of medical intervention, right? As an adult, as a child, if you're making a decision for your child, or if you're making a decision for yourself or, you know, a loved one or something like that, it's always going to be this cost benefit analysis, right? So at what point, you know, there, there, there becomes a certain point where something has to be done to help this person um, because they're either a danger to themselves, to others. They can't successfully integrate into society and just kind of live and exist as a human being without incredible amounts of external support. So, I guess my point is that, do you agree that there is a certain line or a certain level where you have to kind of step in and be like, Hey, like we've kind of run the gambit, you know, we've tried diet, we've tried exercise, we've tried, you know, horse therapy, music therapy, anything under the sun that we've tried. Um, some people do need that additional help. Right. And it would be, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. I'd go get a medical marijuana card, I guess, is that about as far as I would go. That's the only you're thing. You're too young to, to transition, but you're old enough to toke. I love it. Let's yeah. Do it. Well, okay. I'm just saying, I mean, if that's probably the only medicine that I would recommend to anybody because it's at least grown, uh, you know, it's not made by big pharma, even though they're trying to get their hands on it. Listen, this is the other problem too in society is that I think it was Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, you know, there's levels mm-hmm. of like social support, safety support, and, the last thing, the one that we never reach is called self-actualization. So for somebody to actually think, especially a kid to be like, oh, I'm going to be self-actualized. I know who I am right then and there. That's impossible because we are not like that. We are caterpillars that become butterflies. This is a process. And to do this at an age where I believe you're so vulnerable and you're so just mentally unaware of the consequences of your actions to do these permanent heavy things. Uh, 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 not necessarily the social stuff. Now, I don't necessarily think the social norms of transitioning a child is great. But for me, it really where it really gets stuck in my craw is the medical intervention with any medication whatsoever. So I guess to my point is, Malcolm, what is the youngest age that you believe a child? Because there's two questions. When do you believe a child should take the hormone therapy medication? And what is the earliest age you believe a child should have a physical either mastectomy or a gender reassignment uh, surgery on their genitals, bottom surgery. 
So as far as hormones and puberty blockers are concerned, I think that a lot of the research will show that it's most effective um, at like Tanner stage two. Um, so probably around the time that they start developing naturally would be a good time to pursue puberty blockers if it's appropriate for that child. Um, I'm a little bit more hesitant on surgery. I think that surgery, um, if it is uh, like an adolescent that's pursuing surgery, um, I think that it would it would require like a significant waiting period, in my opinion. Um, you know, a lot of additional resources, a lot of kind of therapy, talking through these kind of things, um, working through it, all that other good stuff. Um, so I guess my weasel answer would be it's going to be dependent on like the kid and it's going to be dependent on their supports and what their individual like outcome is looking like. Right. Because if you I think about it from from my perspective, uh, before I transitioned, I was super lucky because I did not have giant tits. Um, if I had giant tits, I couldn't imagine trying to integrate and live the way that I am looking like this and having like G cups, like it would have been so distressful. I wouldn't have been able to do anything. It would have been like, you know, I would have felt like a bearded lady. Um, and so I think that if we're, if we're looking at people who are reaching that clinical threshold for distress, where it's impacting your ability to do anything, and we've kind of come together and made this consensus, you know, with doctors and, you know, physicians, and we've tried every other, we've exhausted every other alternative. Um, I think that it would be appropriate for that to be on the table. I guess my issue is I don't ever want it to be off the table, but I think that we can put obstacles in front of it in order to make the end point like a little bit more rigorous to achieve, if that makes sense, if that's not too much of a weasel answer. No, it makes perfect sense. And I think we're at the same uh, mindset. We need obstacles. I just think we should have bigger obstacles. You probably think we should have smaller ones. And I mean, that's just where we differentiate, if I can even say that right. Well, I think that we... I think that we would want different obstacles in place um, because yeah, I would want I to see better, like better mental health care, like better support systems, um, better um, counseling, therapy, uh, better family support, all of these things to help people make the best informed decision that they possibly can. Um, not necessarily like, hey, you have to wait two years to the day or, you know, you have to be this age. I think that um, healthcare is really personalized and really individualized. Um, you know, even if we're thinking about things that are physical ailments like cancer or, you know, amputation and things like that, these are going to be really uh, personal decisions that you make. And maybe there's an experimental treatment that you want to try where you want to do like ketamine therapy or something, and maybe it cures you and maybe you don't feel this way anymore. Who knows? You know, um, I just, I'm, a, I'm more of an advocate for people's autonomy um, to make their medical decisions and have a hand in that, um, especially young adults um, making that decision with their families and with people who are there to support them and make the best informed decision that they can, right? Yeah, and I and I agree with you. So I think we're really not that far apart. But what do you think about? And I know maybe this is you know off on what we're talking about. But do you believe that children are being being more sexualized and uh, radicalized in I guess like um, gender social norms? Like, do you believe that this? I guess my point is, I believe, and this is maybe my tinfoil hat or my conspiracy. I, with libs of TikTok, you look at a lot of these these uh, teachers that. I do think there's an indoctrination, a sexual indoctrination of our youth going on. I believe that 100%. Do you believe that, uh, Malcolm? Well, what do you mean like that we're teaching kids to be more like aware of like, sexual stuff at a younger more, age? Is that kind of what you mean? More aware of sex because of the internet. I, I don't know. You're you're younger than me, I believe. But like the internet came out just when I was young. I had 56K. So even I saw porn. But now the levels of pornography at a young age is alarming. And a lot of the children that are looking at it are 10, 11, 12 years old. So giving children access to this stuff, you know, lesbian porn, gay porn, all kinds of porn, it does cause a little bit. And this is just my opinion. And I think there's other doctors that some will agree some sort of sexual confusion and maybe gender confusion. So I think that is an inorganic thing that is causing the numbers. Because if you look at the numbers of trans people in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it is skyrocketing. I know it's still a small representation of our population, but the the increase, the percentage of increase per year is insane. So I think there's a, I guess you'd say, 
not a coordinated effort, but a coordinated effort to indoctrinate kids into being more sexualized and to be more questioning about their gender? Well, I think there's two things. Um, One of them is going to be that I think that it has never been um, safer. I'm sure these, you've heard all these arguments before. I think that it's never been like safer, um, more socially acceptable, um, easier to access to be trans. Right. So I think that you kind of see a spike in that when there's this level of social acceptance, even if you think the spike is exaggerated or, you know, maybe there's something else underlying, I think that contributes to a significant amount of it. Right. We saw a lot of people come out as gay after gay marriage was legalized in America. Um, after we stopped beating people for being left-handed, we saw a lot of people come out as like, Hey, actually I'm left-handed. I'm not going to get hit in the face. Right. Um, but when we're talking about, uh, kind of like the way that you describe it is like the over-sexualization or like, um, like pushing kids into this idea of sexualization. I think that has a lot to do, like you said, with the internet. I don't really think it has anything to do with individuals kind of like procuring this or like teaching kids this, uh, kind of like what you see with uh, libs of TikTok. I don't think that that is really like an accurate representation. I think it's because kids have like unfettered access to the internet. You know, um, I'm, I don't know how old you think I am, but you know, back in the day when when you were hanging out with your friends or you went to a party, everybody that was at that party was your age. You know, if you went to a high school party, it was high schoolers. You were around high schoolers. There, there was maybe like the one 22 year old guy who peaked in high school, but that was it. Um, or if you had a job, you were around people that were your age. You weren't really age mixing um, the way that in, the internet allows us to do, right? So you can have um, Discord servers where the youngest age that people can get in is like, you know, like 13. And then you have people who are 13 mixing with people who are 25 mixing with people who are 40. And I think that that kind of cultivates or it, it kind of encourages this messy dynamic where people are talking like they're in the company of adults um, without realizing that the internet is just this big smorgasbord um, of people from all ages and all backgrounds and everything all smushed together. Right. Um, even on Twitter, right. You have people that have those little, um, they do like the emoji for the the 18 and under, like no 18 and under, like they don't want minors interacting with them on Twitter. Um, but a, a bunch of their followers are actually minors because like nobody goes through and combs through their shit or they just don't understand. Like, I feel like a lot of it has Malcolm, to do Malcolm, that's Twitter, the oldest honestly. gimmick in the, wait, I tried to cut you off, but that's the oldest gimmick in the book. Like no young people follow me. That's what an old person that was being followed by young people do. Sorry, go ahead. But that's kind of like the- No, you're fine. You know, I was, like, I was like, like, you know what I mean? That. But but I'm yeah, just saying just like, think, you know, don't yeah. follow me. That means, oh, I want to follow. It's that counter, you know, it's whatever. That's almost what works on kids more. What I'm saying is like a kid didn't even want to smoke a cigarette, but you're like, oh, it's bad to smoke a cigarette. Let me try it. Like kids just want to do something bad. So I just think that's another way to target children and be like, oh, 18 only. Then kids are like, oh, I want to be there. I want to do something bad. So for me, that's another way to target children. But regardless, another huge issue in this topic, and I think it should be called trans athletes. And I think at the collegiate level, I know those aren't necessarily children, but when you look at Leah Thomas, who on the men's team was ranked 370th, I believe, and, you know, had never won a major swim race in their collegiate career, transitioned to Leah Thomas, and then was a multiple NCAA champion. And uh, I do feel Title IX, if that's protecting women's sports, I think that goes against that by letting biological males or men that were born biologically male and then transitioned, if you might, I think they do have a physical advantage in sports. And especially at a young age, I feel like that's really important. If you imagine all these high school guys that want to go to, want to get scholarships and you look at there's track uh, stars in Florida that are in high school that are under 18, that became national champions that were born biological males. I think that's unfair to the, to the female athletes. So I'm sure you think the opposite of that, Malcolm, is that correct? Um, I gotta be totally honest with you. I don't really care about sports. So that's not anything that I really have ever gotten into as far as like 
competitive advantages or disadvantages. I don't really care a whole lot about that. The only thing that I'm familiar with is um, co-ed sports are usually pretty typical up until puberty because, you know, that's kind of when that's you see true. like the dimorphism. Um, so I think if we're talking about like, um, like kids, like I don't really care if boys and girls play soccer together or whatever, um, middle school and high school, um, middle school, probably not so much high school. I could see the argument for, uh, collegiate scholarships. Maybe, um, I think that when we get up into higher levels of athleticism, I think it's fair for individual agencies to make their own rules. Like if the NCAA wants to let trans athletes compete, that's kind of their ability to decide that if the Olympics wants to let, uh, trans, uh, athletes, uh, participate, that's kind of their decision to make. Um, and the flip side of that, obviously, is that we're behest to whatever organizations that we want to like participate in, right? Like if I wanted to go um, and play in the NFL, they would probably say no, um, probably because I'm horribly uh, unathletic, but that's not the point, right? Um, and that's kind of their decision as that organization to have players that they kind of hand select and that they want. And I think that that's fine. Um, that that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think that they, so. But do you agree that a biological male might have an advantage against a, a biological female, a biological a trans woman? Um, I'm not on average. On average, um, I would say probably on average. Um, well, because I'm not, I'm not all, I'm not 100% read up on everything, but I'm pretty sure after you've been estrogenized, I think that's, I'm pronouncing that right. After a significant amount of time, your athletic uh, performance drops pretty significantly. I'm not super read up on it, um, but I also don't give a shit about sports. So um, I kind of just think that organizations, like I know that the Olympics say that it's two years on estrogen and then you can compete, compete in the women's category. If that's kind of the, um, if that's kind of the standard that they want to set, that's fine. So who's your favorite WNBA team? I don't I don't like basketball. What? You don't like the LA Sparks? What? No. I know. I, I'm not a, I'm not a sports guy. I'm not a sports guy. The most I'll do is I'll uh Kraken, Seattle Kraken. They just started their their hockey team. That's okay, I guess. Look at you, Mr. Hockey. I would have never guessed it. Malcolm on ice. All right. You do. Does anybody ever say Malcolm in the middle? Because that was one of my favorite shows. Well, who's that? Frankie Muniz? I, you kind of have. You kind of look like Frank. Yeah, kind of. It's funny. Your name's Malcolm. That's funny. I don't mean that rude. I love that show. No, you're good. I, okay. It's that one or sometimes people say Malcolm X and I'm like, oh, not that one. Not that one. Oh. <laughs> not I used to love one. Malcolm in the middle. And what's the guy from Breaking Bad? Uh, that was his original show. Uh, uh, I can't oh, yeah. Jesse. Name. Jesse. I no, can't remember. No, no, no. Right? The, the dad and, and Malcolm in the middle was what's the oh guy's yeah you're name? right Walter White Walter White Walter I can't White his name. what hmm. the heck somebody in the chat what is that guy's name he's such a badass actor the bugs the oh my gosh talking about the dad and Malcolm in the middle yes Brian it's um, Brian Cranston yeah, yes dude the Walter White he's an Emmy award winning actor I'm just so done that we didn't know that but. Okay, well, I think honestly, Malcolm, you know, we're really not that far off. And, and I am, and this is another thing that, you know, I've been adopted by the kind of the conservative side. And there's a lot of stuff that I am very conservative about, like abortion. I'm very anti abortion. And like I said, I'm very passionate about children not getting gender reassignment surgery or gender hormone therapy under the age of 18 or 17, maybe whenever they can consent to sex. And I know that sounds crazy. That's the lowest I'll go. I still think that's insane. But in the world we live in, it's not what I want, it's what, the most people want. I'm a populist. So it's not what I want. What I want is insane. What I want, I don't believe we landed on the moon. I want a whole, I want to shut down the whole. I, it's not what I want. Because if I wanted, the system would be shut down. So I'm just saying to even capitulate, to try to come to some sort of middle ground, minimum, when you can consent to sex, you can consent to gender reassignment surgery or hormone therapy. Anything other than that is child abuse 
and literal sexual abuse in my opinion. I think I think that we're a little farther apart than you think that we are. But I mean, that, that's OK. We we can disagree on that. That's fine. I just think that um, I don't think that it should be ever be like taken off of the table. Like, would you support the government saying we're not allowing this period? Or um, are you a little bit more libertarian leaning on? I'm libertarian. They, they say a lot of crap's not allowed. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, you know and that's why we have an opioid epidemic. That's why we have a, you know, a serious drug problem. Instead of addressing the mental health issues with a lot of drug users, we have a uh a criminal, a criminal justice system, a for-profit criminal justice system that attacks marginalized people. So if I see that system, I see the medical industry, I see the military industrial complex, I see the police need people to arrest. There is a whole reason, a whole system that is rigged against us, in my opinion. And I know that sounds crazy. And this is, once again, go back to the tinfoil hat is I believe we're being run by multinational corporations like these medical companies, like these military companies whether you're Pfizer or you're Raytheon, all you care about is making money. So earlier in the debate, you said something like, oh, well, it's just a small margin. Like these companies, it's not enough money for them. These people are monsters. They will never stop taking until they have taken every single dollar and cent from us. The most alarming thing you said is that you become a patient for life. There's nothing more than a medical professional, especially a CEO or top executive of one of these corporations that have shareholders, want to hear that lifelong patient. That's their two. Oh, lifelong patient. We love. Oh, we got this many more lifelong patients. So the conspiracy theorist in my head says, let's get kids on serious lifelong medical care. And that's where I have a huge problem is I believe we have a corrupt medical system. And, and, you know, I think we agree on that, though. Uh, In so many words, I I guess I can I can. uh couch a little bit on that but i i guess so would you support the idea of the government just like banning this altogether uh, for children yeah i mean like you said there are some medical applications a kid gets in an accident i mean uh, under the very rare circumstance maybe can a kid you know there's some sort of reason they get injured or something you know there, there'd be need to there may need to be an application for this like you said it's not impossible but for it to be such a keystone issue in our culture war it's just it's a small it's a small part of our population and uh, sure i think that i agree the thing that i'll say that i agree is like because it's a small portion of our population the thing that um makes me um uncomfortable as a democracy lover um is that essentially like taking away treatment that could be beneficial for certain people because it's something that we don't like um and i think that it's fair for this to still be an option on the table like like you said i think that um i could be convinced that maybe we could adopt like uh the swedish model and we could have more wait times and we could offer better mental health support and take different avenues of care Um, but at the end of the road if we've exhausted all of our options if medical transition is kind of the last you know trick in our bag and this is what we're going to do knowing that everything else hasn't worked i would be comfortable with that um but i'm just curious if that would be something that you would be comfortable with um versus just outright banning it right yeah, I mean, like I said, I think there's, and this is just my libertarian mindset, there should be you know, some sort of exception to all the rules. I'm anti-abortion, but if I had to capitulate to the mob, the heartbeat bill makes sense. You know, once it has a heartbeat, it's not, you know, very early, you know, a couple of weeks, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I don't necessarily think you're pregnant the next day you have sex, even though you are, you are pregnant. My point is, I'm just, I, I don't want to make too many, you know, uh, concessions with this. Like, you don't want to make too many concessions because I think it's like a slippery slope for to say, that there should be access to it. Yes, there should in a very limited term, like in the instances of intersex or for for some sort of 
serious medical reason, not at the rate that it's going, not when I see here Boston Children's Hospital. And I don't know if you saw that video, a guy exposed by Project Veritas, talking about how it is beneficial beneficial to them financially. So it's just like I, there's too many red flags for it to be. I guess you could always say, like I said earlier, an exception to the rule, but under the rarest of circumstances, not where there should be clinics and hospitals all over the country like, you know, freaking McDonald's. I mean, if there's a significant amount of people that are like demonstrating a need for this service, I could see that there would be an increase in this service, right? It's basic supply and demand. Um, and I think that that's fine if we're seeing kind of an increase of people that are needing these services. Um, but like I said, I would be comfortable with there being um, a little bit more support, um, psychologically speaking. Um, I do agree that in certain instances, I wouldn't even necessarily say with adolescents because the adolescent um, criteria is pretty rigorous, um, but the transition is kind of seen as the only solution. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that there are other ways that we can kind of tackle this. And if those options don't work, I think that that should always be left on the table um, for people to make that decision for themselves, right? Um, and kind of like we talked about a little bit earlier, I think that there are instances where we have to act in the best interest of somebody. Um, and sometimes that's going to be, you know, intervention that I personally don't like, you know, <clears throat> um, yeah. This might well, be, I guess we, go ahead. Yeah, this is a good time. I think we can kind of agree to disagree that we're not too far apart, but, um, I, I think mean, we're I, pretty I, far apart, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> if we disagree on it, that's not the end of the world. This has been a very well, good last question. Hey, before, cause the, cause I get to ask the first question and you obviously don't have to answer, but what, what age did you transition Malcolm? Don't mind um, I started transitioning when I was 20, I think. Um, and something that you brought up earlier that I that kind of made me chuckle a little bit on the inside was you, you had a question about like uh, the age that people usually uh, come out or whatever, like transing six-year-olds or whatever. Um, but I grew up Catholic and I knew from probably my first like rememberable conscious thought um, that I wanted to be a boy. Um, so I don't think that that means that I should have immediately gotten surgery and started transitioning, obviously at the age of the, the ripe age of five. Um, but I think that um, kids are a lot more conscious of their own experiences than we'd like to give them credit for. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we have to go, you know, balls to the wall with everything that we can do for them. Um, but even like sexuality, I think at a really young age, I knew that I was into girls too. Um, I don't think that that was like something that just magically clicked on um, when I turned 18 or, you know, whenever I was the legal age of consent, I knew from a young age that I had, you know, crushes on girls and my friends had crushes on boys. And, you know, I, I knew that I was different, um, but I started uh, actually physically transitioning, I think when I was 19 or 20. And this is the this is probably too personal though, and I mean you don't have to answer this. So if you didn't transition to your twenty, I'm saying you lost your virginity as a female, right, with another woman, mm -hmm. and you didn't like that 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 didn't sexually. I mean, I guess I don't know what sexually satisfies me, but I'm just saying that what you felt like that still you still wanted to transition your sex. I think um, I'm going to try and draw a really loose analogy. Like if they're this is going to be so vulgar. <laughs> so if there was like this girl that you really wanted to fuck, like you wanted to like, this is like your dream girl. Okay. Like pick your dream girl. I, I'm, pretty sure is yeah. I'm pretty sure yours is. I'm pretty sure yours is. AOC. You nailed it. My big buddy Latina. This is like, she's say. my dream girl. Okay. So go okay, ahead. Okay. So AOC, like you, like AOC is like, okay, let's fuck. And you're like, Oh yeah. Like, let's get it. Let's go. Let's go. But you, you cannot do PIV. You cannot use your dick at all. But she lets you hit it. And it just, you don't feel like you actually did it. You're like, this just was incomplete for me. Like, I know that I did, but like, it wasn't how it was supposed to be. Like, I imagine this so much different in my head. That's kind of what it was like for me when I was younger, where I have like an idea of myself and, you know, how I'm supposed to be. And then I was just like, what the fuck? That wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all, right? 
Yeah, you, I know. I get that. And I feel kind of socially inadequate like that. But I mean, at the same time, it's like if AOC, if I didn't have a vagina, AOC can go all up in there. I'd let her go in there all day long. <laughs> AOC, you can hang out. But but I get it. I get it. Like, And that's the other thing I talk about, too. I'm not even saying that um, I, I have the libertarian uh, mindset. So for your transition, I have no no issues uh, whatsoever. But what what was the social stigmas of it? for you like did was that a hard mental health process for that because isn't that one of the that, that's what i'm saying is like i think that's kind of the misdiagnosed process of it is that once the kid gets labeled as trans i feel like oh i gotta go all the way and it kind of instead of just being this kind of like oh it's not a big deal we kind of over make it a big deal and over identify and make them you know we encourage it more instead of just kind of letting it play itself out um i think it really depends um i was really lucky to have um, people that were supporting of me, um, my family, my friends, uh, my parish, um, all the the romantic partners that I've I've had along the way have all been supportive. Um, there were instances when I was early on in my transition where I didn't really uh, pass very well, um, where I had some some issues interpersonally um, with strangers, um, and sometimes with a couple of friends who were really religious or conservative. But it wasn't anything that was too crazy. Um, and I think that I was pretty lucky in that aspect. I think it just depends on the individual. Um, I did not feel like I needed um, like a ton of supplemental therapy. I felt pretty confident in my decision. You know, I went to my mandatory therapy. Um, I went, I had therapy for the first, uh, I think, year that I transitioned and was able to talk through a lot of stuff, you know, go through the process, talk about my feelings, um, additional options, all this other stuff. And I found it very helpful, um, but I didn't feel like I needed anything additional from that. I felt pretty, um, pretty good in my decision. We might. Jump into the Q&A right now. I want to say, folks, a couple of things in particular. Margas, both of them are linked in the description. If you have not already checked out their links, what are you waiting for, including at the podcast? 100% of our debates at Modern Day Debate are put onto the podcast, which gets thousands of downloads, by the way. It has zero ads. We don't make a dime off the podcast. That's just in case it's a value to you. You're driving around town. You lose service, but you don't have to worry about it because you download it the debate on your favorite podcast app and you can find both malcolm's and alex's links in the description box for the podcast it's that great but in addition to that other housekeeping type things if you haven't already and if you feel like i'm not going to tell you i'm just going to ask hey would you be willing to hit the like button if you've enjoyed this conversation because that will make it such that more people will see this debate and frankly we appreciate it because it just boosts us in the algorithm just a little bit as we try to expand our vision of providing a neutral platform so that everybody can make their case on a level playing field now as for questions wait we have one just one we did this new feature starting several weeks ago where the audience would be more involved we poll the chat if you haven't already voted on this poll folks now is your chance before it's too late it's what particular topic would you most like to see our guests discuss before we wrap up the most popular one was does hormone replacement therapy or, or any sort of hormone changes done for a child that's transitioning have any permanent effects if the child later or i should say the person later wants to detransition We'll give you both a chance. I assume Malcolm, you'd maybe, uh, frankly, can maybe you have can you reread that one more time? I'm sorry. Yep, they said, got a little jumbled in my head. So this is the topic that the audience most wanted to hear your guys' response on. It was does hormone replacement therapy or hormone you know type changes that a doctor might implement if a child is going through a transition 
does it have permanent effects if the child later on says, hey, I'm not sure if I was right about that. I want to detransition. Um, if they're just taking puberty blockers, no. Um, it's essentially, it's used in precocious puberty in cis kids. It essentially just kind of pauses your development. And if you go off of them, you resume development where you left off. Um, if you go on to cross-sex hormones, um, you develop that way. Instead, it's like, you know, a fork in the road. Um, HRT is different. Obviously, there are certain changes that are more permanent than others. Um, there are some that kind of go away with time off of it. Um, and then there are some that are permanent and need intervention to reverse, um, like either laser hair removal, you know, like breast reconstruction. Um, parts Like I wouldn't say any of it is like irreversible because they are reversible. Um, it's just some things take more effort to reverse than others. You got it. This next question, this again from the audience poll, the second most popular topic they most wanted to hear you guys talk about was trans women in the UFC. Should they be allowed to participate competing with other women in the UFC? Yeah, heck yeah. Let's go. Yeah, let's go fight all the you want to come and fight. Go fight. I want all the trans women in there because I think there'd be a lot of bodybuilder type people with mental health uh, issues that would go in there. And then we just see a couple fights. And I think there's a Fallon Fox. There's a couple there have been UFC fighters that transitioned and uh, just totally beat the crap out of girls. So they go for it. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's just watch people get murdered on TV uh, live in 4k. Well, I think that like UFC, they all, they have to consent, right? Like, it's not like you're just like, I want to fight Conor McGregor and then you guys have to fight each other. You both have to be okay with it. And if there are athletes that want to fight, whatever, it's, if you guys want to, you got it. This one was the third most common response in the poll. Can detransitioning people get their penis back if they had it, if they surgically had it remo- removed during their childhood transition? I think that's obvious that they can't get it back. I mean, it doesn't, it's, it does well, not, not the tail. same You're penis not... necessarily, but can you, is there something, because presumably that's gone after a while. I don't know what happens I, to it. <laughs> I, well, how many kidneys do we have, James? Two. How many penises do we have? Well, I have one. Yeah, so if you cut that one off, you think we don't have a backup penis, I don't believe. What do you think? Well, there are ways to like reconstruct it. It obviously wouldn't be the same, but there's options. I don't know if it's ever been done. I don't know anything about if it's been done, but really. Is that even been done? Be it is not the same. That's the answer. Sorry, sorry, Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but that's No, you're that's fine. It wouldn't be the same in the same way if you were like if you got your dick blown off by an IED. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. It wouldn't be the same, but you can Yeah, they can put, put back, something right? back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not the come on. Come on. You know. <laughs> it's like eh, 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 yeah, it's not the same. It's not gonna be the same thing. But that that's fine. Gotcha. We'll jump right into the other questions from the audience. Thanks very much. Paul. Oh, and, and and I didn't think I answered the first one. I, I, I do think there is permanent damage, but I said it in the debate earlier. I don't know if they're asking that question just to you or for both of us, but I, I don't see logically how if you only have one window of puberty, if you take a hormone to stunt that in any way, because I know people and this is this is where you, where I'm thinking, like, I want to play devil's advocate and be on your side. I know a friend of mine. He got uh, the uh, HGH therapy. He was short. I mean, he wasn't even that short. He was like 5'8". I mean, he was shortish. He got the the gender, or I'm mean, not the gender, excuse me, the HGH, really expensive whenever it was like the top of the line. His dad was a physician. That's why he got it. Became like six feet tall, like in two years or something. So I, I'm just saying like there's, you know, uh, there, there's applications for, you know, you, you would need this stuff. I forget why I was talking, why I was bringing up my buddy, but um, 
I lost my train of thought. What was I even saying? Oh, what I'm saying is he hit the window. They did it at the exact right time when his dad gave it to him, where it gave him the most beneficial push. And that's what his dad said. That's what Rick said. So I'm saying there's only that one window. Like if he would have done this later on in life, it wouldn't have had that effect because they did it at the right age. It did. So there's certain windows. If you miss that window or you shunt that window, I I don't know how you could argue that it would not have permanent damage. And they say it's reversible. That's just illogical personally to me. Well, sure thing, but you could say that on the flip side, right? That there's this perfect window that if you are like a really distressed trans person, you're going to grow up and be trans. If there was a way to project it, that window is like this big too, right? Where you can get in and be like, hey, we're going to take away all those harsh changes from puberty that you don't have to deal with later in life. I would say that that's true on the opposite end as well. And and I and I and obviously I don't want kids to transition, but I'm saying argumentatively, yes, I would say argue the better, the less so, the younger, the less social stigma. But I don't think that should be the case. I'm just saying, you know, for whatever the maturation level, the earlier you do it, the more you would be in that opposite sex. So I just think that's just the reason why we shouldn't do it at such a young age. But that I do think that 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 does make sense in that one. You got it. This one coming in from. Malavia says, James, can't wait to see you Saturday. That's right, folks. It's going to be the Saturday Debate Con Part 2. It's going to be huge. They said, Alex, not so much. Yo, don't worry. He'll grow on you. This one coming in from the Herman Cain Awards says, love your work, but you should be ashamed for continuing to invite Alex on. He adds nothing of value. He's a troll. And what? Why do you read this? You always never read the troll. Actually, I like that you read the troll comments. Honestly, please read all the troll comments. Uh, uh, but that's uh, that's funny. For normal normal debaters, you don't usually read those, uh, James. But uh, uh, I appreciate the, the super chat. This one's a special one. The reason is every time we get another person calling for us to not platform somebody, to not have them as a guest, the debate gets 10 minutes longer, okay, folks? We're not into that deplatforming stuff. The Herman Cain Award says... all night. That's no, that's true. All night. It might be. No, I'm just You're right, I'm just Malcolm. The Herman Cain Award says, Remember Matt Walsh made a whole documentary about this issue and was certain millions of kids got hormone blockers, and it turns out it's a few thousand. What, that is actually cheaper than they say? I mean, I think there's, like uh, Malcolm said, there's, you know, cheaper alternatives. Like, you can get steroids on the internet, so, and I know there's, like, people well, that have caught, well, there's people that have been still, caught on still Instagram. They're prescribed, though, right? They're still prescribed, well, but, though, right, was my, but, my but point Malcolm, with that. Yeah, and I think yeah. that, that it should be medically prescribed, but you know there have been people that have been exposed, not just by lips yeah, of TikTok, but, but think about it realistically, though. These parents are going to be like... Those. Well, think about it realistically. Like, what boomer is tech savvy enough to get on the dark market or on the dark web and like bootleg puberty blockers? Like, I mean, this is like two people. Yeah, but there's people, there's influential people on Instagram that give avenues to children on how to get these without a prescription. That you know that exists. I mean, yeah, for sure. But how many? No, no, no. I I agree that that happens, and I don't agree with uh, like black market hormones um, for uh, minors at least, or adolescents, or anything like that. Um, if you're an adult, put whatever you want in your body. It's yours. Do whatever you want to it. Um, but like again, I I think this is like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of people that are like obviously it's a concern, right? But I don't think that it's this overinflated issue that some people um, make it out to be for sure. This one coming in from do appreciate your question. Layman says this. How many times a week does Alex cross-dress? Two times? Three times? How much do you cross-dress, Alex? Well, sometimes, you know, I put on my robe and I'll just kind of look at myself in the mirror and I just kind of fantasize as, as being Alexandria, the most beautiful belle of the ball. I mean, so, 
you know, when I'm feeling groovy, I, uh, you know, I'm an actor. I'm a thespian. I'm a full-born, a full-blown thespian. So that's why I, you know, I, I, this is another thing too, Malcolm. Let's get in the conspiracy world. It's called it. buck. It's called buck breaking, where they put like top Hollywood, oftentimes African American actors, like in drag, and they kind of say it's like this kind of like form of like humiliation. Oftentimes they like to do it to like straight actors even more to kind of just show them like. They're, they're the boss, but I say as an actor, you should have to dress as a woman. You know what I mean? If a, if a broke, you know, called for it. Um, so I guess, you like know, who was the one in the Danish girl? I thought that was, that was fine. I thought he did a good job. The Danish girl, that movie. That was fine. I don't know if I saw that one, but what, the, but they did, that mm. was a good job. That was a good one. Yeah. It was a, I forget who it was. Oh my God. I'm not going to be able to remember, but it was a, it was a guy who played a trans woman. And I thought that it was, Oh, it was well done. I'm sure they could have found a trans woman for it, which is, you know, here nor there. But I thought he did a good job. I don't think it's always a bad thing, right? This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Melody Kate says, maybe people started to listen to their children and what they want, Alex. You know, as if they are sentient beings with feelings. Namely the children. Uh-oh. Am I losing you, Alex? You're. It's wait. It's oh. like there's a picture of Bigfoot there for sure. Oh, there he is. He was. He was. What's yeah. going on? I think, okay. I, think you, I lost the us? stream. And now my my internet just went down for a second. It's so annoying that it did that. Yeah, it's just now. That's it, so freaking annoying. Sorry about that, guys. I'm so... I, you've been going on those websites I told you not to go on. No, it it's like not even that. Every debate I get to use that on you. But yeah, they said you don't have to buy black market hormones. Don't worry. We can get you. No, I'm not. I'm on. I'm getting. I'm on penis enlargement uh, therapy right now. This one from Melody Kate says, maybe people started to listen to their children, Alex, and what the children want. You know, as if they, the children, are sentient beings with feelings. What do you think, Alex? Well, uh, you know this. I'm a soy boy. I'm a vegetarian. So I even believe animals are sentient beings. So obviously, I believe children are sentient beings. But I mean, that doesn't mean they should be able to cut off their genitalia. I mean, dude, I'm a pimp on a blimp. If I cut off the steering wheel, we'd crash a blimp. I mean, I mean, that's you know, it's a good analogy. If you cut off your wiener, you could lose your steering wheel. So no, I'm not. No way, Jose. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question. Joe Schwartz says, can't wait for DebateCon. Amazing. I couldn't agree more with you, Joe. It's going to be amazing indeed. And this one coming in from Morgan Cody says, Alex, do you feel disgusted or averse to trans people? No, not at all. Not at all. No. This... And I know a lot of people in the right-wing media, oh, you know, they really are. I, I mean, I like I said, that's the libertarian mindset. I mean, uh, I don't really necessarily like drag queen story time, but, you know, drag brunch, no, I don't care. I, I do think there's probably too many children going to these and i'm not even some moral you know guy like oh morally i'm the you know moral police i'm not but i just think the idea of children being in like sexual establishments is the bare minimum because the sexualization of children and the child sex predators and the people that i've dealt with have dated girls that were you know victims of child sexual abuse and they had serious mental health problems so i mean it's just it's really damaging and i think that we have to be very careful with uh, what we expose our children to, but trans people, no, you can be trans all day long. I loved, uh, I mean, what the heck? Orange is a new black. I like these trans actresses. I mean, no, I don't care if you're trans. Go ahead, go ahead. I just, you know, I prefer you to do it at, you know, an age when you've matured. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. 
Coffee Mom says the point of blockers is to keep kids alive long enough to choose as adults. If that's harm, then I don't know what harm means. Suicide is higher with no choice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how accurate these stats are with that, but I know that it's high in both circumstances, whether whether they transition or, or not, if they have gender dysphoria. I believe that mental health diagnosis has a high rate of suicide overall, but uh yeah, it's alarming. The rate of the rate of suicide is incredibly high among young children. I think you could argue that there's a pharmaceutical maybe reason. I mean, I don't want to get in trouble you know, on the internet for saying anything. Big pharma is the best ever. I love you. I'm triple vaccinated. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. But yeah, I mean, I don't um, I don't trust these uh, these mega corporations that have a capitalistic business that is wants to make us lifelong patients. This one from Pomo316 says, For Alex, the vast majority of experts agree that transitioning is the best way to treat trans kids. What specific research have you done that's led you to disagree? Well, I've done a lot of research. I mean, I know Chloe Cole, who I've interviewed, who is actually uh, lives in San Francisco and is now suing uh, Kaiser Permanente, I believe, is a hospital for giving her hormone therapy and gender reassignment uh, procedures, uh, mastectomy at the age of 15. And her parents did have to consent, but basically, you know, she felt like she was pressured or led, misled by these doctors. And so there's a lot of circumstances that I've looked into actual cases. Now you can be like, oh, well, this amount of kids commit suicide versus the ones that don't transition. You know, you can give me all these stats all day long. This is a small part of our population. And I've seen a small amount of people that are affected by it. And, and I've actually seen it with my own two eyes. So I know that it's happening now. Is it as big an issue? Is it, you know, as we make it? I don't know. I think it is. Um, but yeah, I've seen it with my own two eyes. So that's a research I've done is I've actually talked to people like Abel Garcia is a friend of mine who's detransitioned. I've talked to people that detransition. Not all people do, but it's a real thing that exists that people regret doing it. So it's just like how I'm not against, I, I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily like the death penalty because if you've ever put somebody to death that was innocent, which we have, it kind of negates the whole system. So I think it's kind of similar in that analogy. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Mr. Creenan says, Alex, are you for denying children any elective plastic surgeries? So I think what they mean by that is, for example, let's say there's a boob young job. child. Yeah, the younger, oh yeah, I want a young Hooters waitress. Yeah, the 11-year-old should get boob job. No, I mean, I mean, if some girl has some weird nose or something, some guy wants to get a nose job or ears or, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that seems... A little outrageous. I think you should probably wait till you're 18 <laughs> because I think you're still maturing. Uh, I don't think they should get breast implants, but you know, like I said, there might be some sort of medical a- application, like where a person that maybe has like a deviated septum or something. Like, oh, well, we can fix your nose, and make it look like this. Like, there are circumstances when a child might need plastic surgery, but it shouldn't be a social norm or really encouraged. Any thoughts, Malcolm? Um. No, I think that there there are um, acceptable circumstances where we perform plastic surgery at minors. The example that I gave earlier of like a cis kid that has gynomastia, right? Like yeah, that's this true. Kid that's true. Is gonna and, grow and up and... Sure, sorry to cut you off, but that is a good. Mm-hmm. I knew somebody that had to get that surgery, and it was really beneficial. It changed their life. So it's, it, I mean, maybe you know somebody that had that too. But I know uh, a friend of mine growing up had big breasts. He was embarrassed. He got it. It changed his whole life. He got all his swag back. So yeah, that that was a 
reason why you need to have that surgery. But that was a boy getting it to be more masculine, not the yeah, opposite of that, the, the obligation that they use it well, for currently. Well, I'm, I'm familiar with like the argument, right, that you're doing it in like a quote unquote normal way. But I would make the same argument for somebody who's like a trans guy. Like if you're a trans guy, you're 16, you've got like triple H boobs, you know, you're already medically transitioning. If this is like an extenuating circumstance where you're having this significant degree of clinical distress and every other option has been exhausted, I don't see why that would like be taken off of the table, right? If that's an option uh, to kind of bring them down, help them chill, yeah, but help, see, help them but, keep their swag. Right. Yes. And I agree, but see, that's where it gets misused too, because there are applications like that. where like, Oh yeah, this kid, you know, they need to, they have big breasts. They're just fat deposits go in their chest and that's just genetically how it goes. And, and I understand that that can be embarrassing, but then they're like, Oh, well now, because it's legal this way, we can just give it to all these girls that want it. You know, well, so I mean, it would I'd... be super embarrassing for me if I had huge tits, I would probably be really embarrassed too. Right. Like, I mean, even if it is like the, the, I have big tits. It, it sucks. Still... No, it stinks. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. I got to get on a diet. I got to lose some weight. They're not that big, but, I mean, they're definitely B cups. Excuse they're, my language. They're crazy. They're I can see them from here. This they are. Coming. You can see them on the internet. Leo Whitmer says, "How did the guests?" This is our last question. Leo says, "How do the guests feel about circumcision?" You know, I, uh, I mean, I know that there's religious applications for it, so I don't want to argue that. I don't want to argue like people's theological reasons for it i mean i'm circumcised i don't know they always say like oh there's like better sensation without it or you know there's like different reasons for it i don't know i do think it's kind of weird that we always cut a baby's penis but i don't know i mine was circumcised and you hear you sometimes hear girls complain but that's it you hear girls that say they like it so i don't know i don't know that side of it i don't necessarily think uh, uh circumcision should be outlawed but I don't know why everybody gets it done so much. I don't know why the medical reason, I guess it's cleaner, less health reasons. I don't know. I think maybe we over-circumcise for some reason. I think it's kind of barbaric, but that's just me. Yeah. Juicy, to say the least. And with that, I want to say, folks, we are excited. As mentioned, our guests are linked in the description. I'm going to be back in just a moment with some juicy updates about upcoming debates. So stick around for that post-credits scene in just a moment. But want to say, Malcolm and Alex, it's been a true pleasure to have you tonight. Thank you very much. It has been a fantastic conversation. And James, do not forget, guys, if you're watching, uh, and Malcolm, I want to say it was a great debate, very fair. I think you're a very uh, gracious debater, so uh, I appreciate that. And I hope I was uh, as gracious as you were, but but maybe not. But um, I want to just uh, plug this weekend for the primetime Playa Plano Pimps in the building. I know they exist. I know some of you guys are watching if you're in the DFW area. Primetime 99 is going to be doing a double debate, so I'm doing a little 69 debate. Not debating 69. I would be pro 69, but I'm doing a debate about uh, a slew of issues with Jackson Hinkle and Melanie Mack. So if you're in the DFW area, I believe tickets are $25. I believe they're starting out like that. But if you're a player pimp, you can go full daddy, big dog. I think it's like a hundred something dollars, but don't worry guys. You're going to get a show. You're going to get the razzle dazzle. You're going to get, you know, the pimp on a blimp steak and shrimp. You're going to get that whole kit and caboodle. If you come to Plano, Texas this Saturday. So I'll see you guys there. And thank you, Malcolm. With those, yeah, for though. sure. Thanks uh, for the invite. Appreciate it. One hundred percent. You're welcome. Please come. I hope you're in that area. What what area? You in? I'm in Dallas, Texas. Where do you live, Malcolm? I'm up in the the great old Pacific Northwest, freezing my ass off. So so you're probably. I mean, you said your Catholic Church is pretty cool about your transition. So it's probably socially acceptable. I'm guessing up there. Uh, parts parts are parts are. It's parts are. There's it's kind of like in California. There's parts of California that are red, you know, but a lot of it's blue. It's kind of like that, you know, hit and miss depends on where you are. 
Uh, county or city, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, I'll be back in just a moment, folks, so stick around for those updates. We'll talk about all the juicy debates coming up this Saturday. And thanks again, Malcolm and Alex. It's been a true pleasure to have you. We'll see Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.